everyone, welcome to episode six of First Time Outdoors. Uh, today's episode, we have a guest on the phone, Logan Hinners. We're going to be talking about um, what it takes to get you introduced to the world of pheasant hunting. So, um, if that's something that you've been interested in trying out, this is a great podcast to listen to to get those tips. So, stay tuned. So, Logan um, and I met at uh, where I used to work, Pheasants Forever. Logan is uh, the graphic design manager there and has a lot of expertise in the field of um, upland bird hunting and specifically pheasant hunting. So we're going to spend some time picking Logan's brain on some stuff and asking some questions. So thanks for being here, Logan. You bet. Excited to talk about it. It's, uh, it's fresh this year. You know, opener just happened in Minnesota here this weekend. So I've got one thing on my mind and that's uh, pheasant hunting. That's awesome. So maybe you can, uh, can you just kind of introduce our audience to you and your experience and what you do and those sorts of uh, things? Yeah, absolutely. So um, born and raised in southeast Minnesota, small town, Spring Valley, about 2,500 people. Um, so that's kind of my background. I give all the credit to my parents, you know, for getting me involved in the outdoors at an early age. Um, that That's kind of been instilled with me and um you know they got me involved in the shooting sports you know middle school-ish I guess you would say and um yeah I've been hunting fishing involved in the outdoors ever since it's it's a large passion in my life so um all things outdoors I'm I'm invested in and um you know I absolutely love bird hunting bow hunting so a lot lot of background in in those areas and um you know I guess I've been pheasant hunting specifically since age 12 so so that's 20 years already in the field yeah. um, how time flies right wow uh, but yeah and then outside of that i guess i took four years um and i was out out west in colorado where i guided elk mule deer antelope hunts um kind of while i was going to college so that was a pretty cool experience and um kind of made me realize that i wanted to pursue a, a career in in kind of the outdoor industry and um, you know, I've, I've always been conservation minded. So, you know, all things, um, kind of led me to pheasants forever and quail forever. Um, you know, I was fortunate enough to land a job there and combine my, uh, background and graphic design with my kind of life passion in the outdoors. So it's, a, it's been a great fit for me. Um, been with the organization for six years and, um, I'm now the graphic design manager there. I work, uh, within the, the marketing department. So, um, we do, you know, all the marketing, advertising, graphic design work for the organization. Yeah. And then I was also curious about, um, you do and the marketing group do the rooster road trip. Yep. So I wonder if you want to give that a little plug and then talk about when that happens and what your goal is with that. Sure. So, uh, I think this is going to be, I've been involved with the trip for, is this the sixth year? Yeah, it'd be the sixth year coming up here. Um, but the trip's been going on for, I think, 10 or 11 years now. Um, but it's it's basically a, a group of us from Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever. Um, we we go on a trip every year called the Rooster Road Trip. It's a kind of a semi-live trip where we, we kind of document our trials and tribulations, you know, in the field, um, you know, and we're hunting all public land. Um, just trying to highlight, you know, 
that there's there's plenty of opportunity out there for folks to get out in the field. Um, it's also a good opportunity for us to highlight some of the, the uh, work that our chapters have done at a local level um, and just, you know, try showing those success stories, sharing those success stories. And we, we tie in a membership component to it as well to help benefit the organization. Um, and it, it is sponsor-backed, so that, that helps generate some unrestricted revenue for the organization to help help us continue to do mission work. Mm-hmm. Um, this year we're going to be doing that trip. It'll be the first week in December. Um, so if you're interested in following along, you know, all of our Pheasants Forever social media pages will be documenting the trip. You know, it'll be some short format videos, um, a lot of blogs and social media posts with some different contests and giveaways. So um, be sure to check that out. You know, that's first week in December. Uh, we'll be heading down to Nebraska and Kansas um, this year, highlighting some of the work we've done in those states and public lands down there. Um, and the, the web address there is pheasants or uh, roosterroadtrip.org, pheasants forever roosterroadtrip.org. That's awesome. We'll be sure to check that out. Yeah. Um, so I think, Logan, what we'll do here today, um, we're going to kind of do an overview of pheasant hunting. And if you could provide us any information, I think uh, I've been on a couple times uh, with Mike and his family and a couple other guys out in uh, western Minnesota. And so I have a little bit of context for for how this all goes down. But I think there are a lot of people out there that probably might have some interest in bird hunting, um, but maybe lack some of the equipment or knowledge base to get there. So kind of want to fill in the gaps for people to take their first steps into getting out into pheasant hunting or or any upland hunting rather. Um, so I don't know, do you want to kind of walk us through some of the initial steps that people might need to do to get prepared or to get um, certified in any like safety issues or anything like that to kind of get to get started uh, with upland sure. hunting? Yeah. You know, I guess, you know, first and foremost, we're talking um, newbies, if you will, that that maybe have never been or or haven't been for a while. Um, It's, you know, having your firearm safety is just probably going to be number one. Um, You know, depending on your age, you can um, get online nowadays and and do those firearm safety courses and get certified in that so that you can go, you know, purchase your um, small games license. Um, With that, you would need a pheasant stamp. So, I think the small game license this year is $22 pheasant stamp validation is like $7 50 cents. And then you can also um, purchase a WIA validation, which stands for walk-in access. Um, and that would get you access onto private land that is opened up to public hunting. Um, and there's kind of some dates and parameters that you'd have to follow, but I think that's a $5 fee, three or $5 fee. So, you know, with your licensing and whatnot, you're, you're in at th- about $35 at this point. So it's a, a relatively um, cheap sport to get into comparison to some of the other outdoor pursuits that many of us um, are doing throughout the fall. Yeah, And the season's pretty long, isn't that correct? I mean, you said you were going out in December. Does it go in, like, how late does it go? Yep. So if we're talking Minnesota specifically, it started... Um, this Saturday was, was the opener, um, and season will run from, you know, this past Saturday all the way until end of December. So okay. it's a pretty lengthy season, gives a, a lot of opportunity to get out in the field and, uh, enjoy the, the great outdoors. So the, one of the things I like to think about if, if some, somebody was watching the rooster road trip videos on YouTube, um, 
and they were wondering about like, all right, this looks awesome. I want to try this. What sorts of uh, gear would you need? And then I also like to be conscious conscious of the fact that um, sometimes that upfront cost of gear can be a, a barrier for people. You know, you see like, oh, this you buy this high end vest or something because there's there's a lot of marketing that happens with with uh, with high end gear that you see maybe attached to Pheasants Forever's name. Um, so I'm wondering just about what are those low level um, price points and the the bare essential things that a new person would need in order to get into pheasant hunting? Sure. And kind of as you, you mentioned, you know, it, it doesn't take or require, you know, super expensive gear equipment, you know, to get, get out in the field. I mean, there's, there's some initial costs for sure. Um, but compared to some of the out, other outdoor pursuits, you know, whether it's deer or big game, um, yeah, I, I would say pheasant hunting is, is a relatively inexpensive entry point um, for someone looking to get started. You know, you, you can certainly work your, you know, you you can work your way up, I guess, you know, as you get more time in the field and um, you have a deeper connection with, with the score, you can certainly um, sp- spend significant money um, on gear as in anything. But uh, to get started, you know, there's there's a few few things that I'd say are definite needs. And, you know, I could probably just run through a few of them and um, we, we can go from there. But, you yeah. know, one, one would be maps. I mean, yeah, that that's just right off the top of my head. You gotta gotta know where there's places to go hunt. Um, you know, Minnesota alone, there's close to 13 million acres of wildlife management area and walk-in access programs. Um, you know, that's open to public hunting. So there's a ton of opportunity. You just need to know where those areas are. So, you know, there's a a wealth of different places you could go to find that. You can go online to the Minnesota. DNR's website, they have a lot of that posted. There's uh, walk-in access atlases. Um, I personally use Onyx Maps on my phone. Um, that brings all those public land um, parcels up up on my maps on my phone, and I can I can see the boundaries while I'm in the field, so I know I'm staying within my, my boundaries, not trespassing. I don't need to worry about any of that. Um, yeah, I can click within the property. It tells me how many acres there are. Um, season dates just gives you a ton of information so that's a, a great resource um, again that's onyx maps you can buy just a single state so if you're just focused on minnesota um, you know that's a, a great avenue for someone just getting started um, you know beyond that obviously you're gonna need a shotgun yeah 12 to 20 gauge shotgun is, is probably going to be the most popular choice um, for folks you know, upland bird hunting, but, you know, there are 16 and 28 gauges as well that, that I have seen, um, I've shot myself, but again, 12 or 20 gauge shotgun. And, you know, that's, that's a long-term investment. I mean, you can get a pretty decent shotgun these days, you know, four or 500 bucks, but you know, that thing's going to last you a lifetime if you take care of it. So average that out over, you know, 30, 40 years of upland bird hunting, depending on your age. And, um, that's a pretty good and pretty cheap, pretty good investment so yeah um and then you, you'll need uh obviously shotgun shells you know i use four or five shot typically um you can use lead or steel um i prefer steel um you know there are some some regulations using lead shot in the field you know if you're hunting uh, federal lands or waterfall production areas it has to be non-toxic so um, steel would be your choice and just to simplify that, because I bounce around 
from property to property so often it's just easier for me to carry all steel and then I don't need to worry about it. Um, so that, that'd be a little tip for someone new too is, um, you know, just be cognizant of that. Um, and then, you know, there's, there's some blaze orange requirements, you know, state of Minnesota requires us to wear at least one article above the waist that's blaze orange. You know, that could be a hat, jacket, vest, et cetera. Um, just keep in mind the more blaze orange you have on, the more visible, visible you are going to be to other hunters and you know, that, that uh, ultimately leads to, to safety. So, um, you know, you can get into a blaze orange hat or jacket, you know, or vest, you know, pretty inexpensive. And then, uh, boots would probably be another, another one that I would touch on. Definitely going to want a good pair of boots, you know, something that's waterproof, um, has good ankle support just for the train that you'd be walking, you know, as you're in pursuit of, of the bird, um, layered clothing, you know, most people already have that, but with the variety of weather and cover that you'll experience throughout pheasant season, definitely going to want some layered clothing. Um, you know, there's, there's oftentimes, you know, you're walking through that, that cover, you're going to get wet. So whether it be chaps or some sort of waterproof pant, um, could be beneficial. And this isn't, uh, requirement by any means it's you know it'd be an, an optional um but eye and ear protection you know I, I just don't leave home without that anymore when i'm i'm upland bird hunting you know i've i've come to the realization i get one set of eyes and one set of ears and i'm gonna do everything i can i can to protect that you know so i have it later in life but again that's that's optional yeah um and then you know obviously besides all that and it the other thing is staying hydrated and just carrying drinking water. I mean, those are yeah. are probably my list of must-haves uh, for someone just getting started. What about a dog? I mean, there's if you go on YouTube and you watch pheasant hunting, if you search YouTube videos of pheasant hunting, you're going to see a lot of people working dogs. Right. Um, is that something that is an essential thing to have? Is in knowing somebody or owning a a, a dog specifically trained for upland hunting sure so you know i'm not i'm not gonna beat around the bush and and uh say that's you know I, i'll just say this having a dog is going to significantly increase your odds um as you're in the field it, it's certainly not a requirement um but it'll significantly up your odds um you know a dog can cover three times the ground weekend plus they have a nose to aid in in the search of pheasants we can't smell them so again they're gonna significantly up your odds um not to mention there's just there's nothing better than watching a good bird dog a field i mean that's a large part of the reason i i pheasant hunt and continue to pheasant hunt every year is uh, just be able to watch my dog in the field is it's pretty spectacular um it's super super fun to watch and um you know if you, you wing a bird or shoot a bird you know, without a dog, there's there's times it's going to be tough to recover or find. Um, and again, you're, you're just going to increase your odds in recovering that, that bird with a good dog. So again, it's not a requirement, but significantly going to help up your odds. I was you know, just keep uh... in mind, with, with a dog, you know, there's, there's going to come um, more needs. You know, we kind of ran through a list of, you know, what, what it would take just to get started. You know, you introduce a dog into the field, you know, a dog has specific needs as well. So just keep that in mind as your gear list will grow. Yeah. I was going to say, uh, the only way you can get around not having a dog is 
um, designating one of the guys in the group to kind of be the, you know, the guy that's walking around kicking up brush and being the dog himself. A couple years ago, I was with a buddy's dad, and his dad is just like a, a beast. He was just walk. He was out working us the whole day, and he was literally like pretending to be a dog. He was walking through yeah. corn husks. He was chucking corn up ahead of us, and like he was working. But we didn't have a dog, and we got we got some pheasants. So yep. it is no, possible. It's, it's entirely possible for sure. And um, you know, there's I know people who do it, and um, you know, again, it just it comes down to you know, the dogs and it has the ability to cover three times the ground we do in a given walk, you know, mm-hmm. if not more. And, and then the power of their nose obviously is, gives them a, a huge advantage over us finding birds. I think that's also where the mentor comes in knowing, knowing somebody, or if you are somebody that hunts upland birds and you have a dog, there's a lot of people out there that, um, that is their barrier. And so reaching out to new people, or if you are new finding those people, which can be a real challenge. Um, but there's all sorts of places where you can find youth mentor hunts. I know that Pheasants Forever does them. I know the DN- right. that DNR puts those on as well um, here and there. So seeking those out is really important because I think once you see how a dog works in the field, it, it is really amazing. And I, I agree. That is probably 90% of the reason why I do pheasant hunt is watching my dogs work. Yep. I mean, it's, that's their labs. Connection. I mean, that's what they, that's what they live for, you know, and yep. you can really see that, uh, that innate drive to, yep. to flush and to retrieve and to, and to please you as their owner, which is cool. Exactly. Yeah. yeah it's, it's fun even just, you know, as I'm preparing for a hunt here at home, I have a lab myself. Uh, he's seven now, but, uh, you know, just, I get my shotgun out of the gun vault or, you know, I, I, get some of my blaze orange articles out and he knows immediately he's put two and two together and he's he's wired i mean he won't leave my side and i might not be leaving for three days and he's just amped like ready to rock so it's it's pretty cool just to to watch them get get so excited about you know being out in the field too and it's fun one of the next questions i have is we talked about how to find public land but what sorts of land are we looking for i mean because you could go on onyx and you know put in there that you're looking for public land and have some pop up but there's some specific things that you should be looking for in that land that would hold pheasants can you maybe touch on some of those features sure yeah specifically you're you know you're looking for crp um you know pheasants you know are gonna are gonna be found primarily in the grasslands waterways that kind of thing and crp is the conservation reserve program Yep, right, correct. so that's uh, like basically native grassland that's been yep. planted in an area to kind of rehabilitate the landscape. Yep. So you're looking for that grassy area, you know, um, you know, brushy grassy area, but you're not not typically going to find pheasants, you know, in big woods. So um, you know, you can go on the Minnesota DNR page. You know, pheasantsforever.org is a great resource. Um, but that you know, you're looking for for property, like you said, Mike. That's going to be um, native prairies, um, grasslands, you know, sloughs later in the year, you know, like cattail sloughs. They love, love cattail sloughs, you know, late season when there's cold weather, snow, um, that gives them great cover, um, keeps them warm. Um, so, so those are kind of areas you're going to look for, you know, they'll, 
they'll feed in the the egg you know so if there's like an adjacent um cornfield next to a an area of grasslands or or uh, cattail sloughs you know it's probably going to be be a pretty prime area to find pheasants um you know any any types of those areas and and you can go on the minnesota dnr page and um kind of look at the pheasant forecast for the year it's kind of a heat map of um you know predicted pheasant counts um in all the counties and and you can kind of see it, it paints a pretty good picture of of where the pheasant range is in minnesota um and where you could expect to find birds and it kind of heat maps certain areas or counties um you know that have the highest concentration of, of birds and they they kind of do that via roadside count um so you know that that's a great resource if you're just getting going and then you know that that'll help you focus on certain areas and then you can dive deeper you know you go look specifically within that county and and start finding you know public lands um and, and you can get on google earth or on onyx maps and um, pull up aerial views satellite views of of these public pieces and you can kind of scout via online at home without even going there and, and kind of pre-plan your hunt if you will i guess that's that's kind of how i do it and you find pieces that you know have have what it takes to hold pheasants and you kind of put a pin on those and and go hunt them one of the uh one of the running jokes that kind of has been adopted by my my brother and i and we're, he was out hunting. My brother was out hunting with a friend in South Dakota, and their running joke was that if you want to find pheasants, if you pay attention to the outdoor or those wildlife paintings, all you got to do is look for like an old wagon wheel, maybe a rusty old tractor, a leaning old barn, because that's always where the pheasants are, according to all those paintings. So, yeah, um, it's kind of they like undisturbed habitat. That's for sure. So whether it's a, a brushy fence line, you know, something that hasn't been tilled under row crop, you yeah. know, and it, it's left alone in native grasses. I mean, that's that's where you're gonna find birds. That's awesome. Um, all right, so we got a kind of a good sense of what it takes to get out and where we're looking to go. Uh, some of the equipment we need. Can we talk a little bit about like being in the field? What sort of uh, strategies would you give to a first timer who maybe he's got a buddy and maybe they got a dog, uh, kind of, how do you work the pro like a land or an area that you've, you've come across and kind of what are some basic recommendations for getting on some birds? Sure. So again, I, I usually start at right at home, you know, I'm, I'm pulling up aerial, aerial views and, and kind of trying to find properties. I mean, and once you've found properties and you know there's birds on there, you found birds in the past, you know, you, you can pin those and, and always go back year after year. But initially, you know, you're, you're trying to find those places. And then a lot of times you can see exactly where the access points are. Um, so when you, when you pull up, you know, kind of, you know, where you're going to be parking, the entry point. Um, and, then it, and then I base everything off wind, um, you know, and that, that can vary throughout the fall, but, um, you know, depending on the given day, I, you know, I base my entry off a of wind and how I'm going to work a particular piece, you know, off the wind. I, I want to keep the wind in my face as much as possible. A, if I have a dog that's helping them, you know, they're able to use their nose better with, with the wind blowing directly into it versus the wind blowing away. Um, and if I don't have a dog, it's, you know, if it's real breezy, strong winds, um, if a bird gets up, it's going to help me having the wind in my face because they're going to want to fly into the wind. Um, 
or with the wind, I should say. So if I have the wind at my back and it's, you know, 20 mile an hour winds, like it was this last weekend, um, a bird gets up. I mean, it, you, you don't have much time the way it is, uh, but with a 20 mile an hour wind at your back and a bird gets up, you have just a split second to even think about taking a shot before they're out of range. So again, I, I start just, you know, I'll get out of the truck, I figure out which way the wind's going and then kind of set my plan so I can walk the majority of the property with the wind in my favor or where I think primarily the birds are going to be. I want to be walking those sections with, with the wind kind of in my face in my favor. Um, and then I'm looking for um, any kind of edges. I would, you know, pheasants are considered edge birds. Um, so, you know, whether that's like a transition and cover type, you know, if there's grasslands budding up to cattails, I like to walk those edges, you know, or if it's grasslands budding up to row crop, you know, like a cornfield, just finding those edges. It seems like that's, you, know, you find a lot of birds hanging out on the edges. Um, so that's, that's something to key in on. Um, you know, and then getting off the beaten path, if it's easy walking, that means probably a lot of other people have walked it and, and pushed it or hunted it. So the further you like anything, the further you can get in or further you can get away from those general use areas or public accesses, probably the higher chance you're going to find some birds. One of the things I'll add as well is, uh, is getting to the spot early. So if you've scouted a spot of public land to get there early in the morning is a really good idea. Cause, uh, for example, last year, and I've hunted public land a lot, but last year specifically I had scouted this spot. Um, actually Jake and I had bow hunted there. And while I was bow hunting, I was hearing pheasant cackles like crazy. And so then I got online and I looked at what this chunk of land looked like and I had identified some specific spots where I wanted to park and where I wanted to walk and uh, my dad and my brother and I went and we got there it was still before um, sunrise and there were already three trucks parked there with people Um, and in a spot like that where there isn't a whole lot of public land in the area it makes sense that that's going to get pounded Um, and that was on the opener so there was kind of like a caravan of people going to this one spot, which was somewhere where I was like, Oh, nobody knows about this. You know, um, we ended up doing fine. We kind of just stayed off to the edge and we walked a different area and we ended up getting, uh, I think two, two roosters and we could have had more, but we, we flushed one like literally two minutes into the walk. (laughs) And I was a little bit rusty with my shooting and, uh, I'm not too proud to say that, uh, I took a couple shots at that bird and it, it, uh, survived. It, I missed it pretty <laughs> badly. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, getting to your spots early is a good idea. I mean, there's nothing to say you can't just go there, park in the entrance. You got an hour till sunrise to take a little nap. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and so. in my, my experience is, you know, generally, you know, it's, it's fairer weather, you know, mid October, late October and deer hunting hasn't started yet. So in Minnesota, you're going to see a lot of pressure earlier in the year, mm-hmm. um, earlier in the season. And as we close in on deer hunting in um, November, mid-November, it seems like that pressure dissipates, um, you know, for pheasant hunting. And I, I think that's in large part to just people change their focus to deer hunting. And um, it doesn't seem like I run into near, nearly as many bird hunters at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and then again, late season, you know, there's people are back to bird hunting because deer hunting's, 
over at that point, but um, you get some nasty inclement weather and it seems like, you know, people don't go. So if you can brave the elements again, you'll, you'll lose a lot of the pressure. And then if you're hunting with other individuals, I mean, there's some pretty significant things to keep in mind as far as safety goes. Um, right. And that is making sure there's nobody in front of somebody else. You're all walking. Um, you're maybe 15 feet apart, um, kind yep. of all facing the same direction, walking the same direction. And communication is key in those yep. cases. You know, Trying you want to be everybody in a straight line, yeah. walking all the same direction for sure. Yeah. And then also knowing like in where your shot cone is. And what I mean by that is, there's there's a certain area in front of you if you picture like you're the you're the point of a slice of pizza and you've got kind of a wedge of range any bird that gets up in this area or flies through this area is mine and I'm not going to swing any further than you know maybe 45 degrees in either yeah, direction kind of like a, a 35 40 degree angle you right. know or percentage if you will right. in front of you is is kind of your shot and if it gets beyond that then it's the next guy's shot unless you're on the end, you know, one of the ends, then you, you can swing far left or, or far right. As long as there's, you know, nothing, you know, no farms or roads or anything like that. You just got to be cognizant of your, you know, what, what lays beyond your shot. Mm -hmm. And then also, I think one of the things that is maybe goes without saying a lot is that when you're hunting public or wild birds, you can only shoot roosters. And so knowing what the difference, what they look like, I mean, they're sexually dimorphic. They look different. So knowing yep. what, uh, what a rooster looks like versus a hen, because you don't, you yep. can't, it's illegal to shoot hens. And then also communicating that. So if you get a bird flushed, calling rooster or hen to the rest of your group um, is essential. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that just helps everybody, keeps everybody safe, um, you know, keeps things legal. You definitely don't want to shoot a hen if you're hunting you know, public land, wild birds, uh, as you mentioned, Mike, that's, that's illegal. So being able to identify birds and sometimes it just takes a couple to, to feel confident and like, Oh yeah, I know what I'm looking at, but you know, you can help yourself by studying that, you know, before you go out in the field. Um, you know, roosters look significantly different than hens, but it's still, still can be a challenge depending on, you know, light, if the sun's in your eyes, etc. But you know, if you're not sure, don't shoot. I mean, that's, that's my best advice. So it's a good general. You know, and hunting in, yeah. And then hunting in big groups, you know, it can oftentimes get, get loud. I mean, you just, with a lot of people, you know, there's conversations happening, you know, another tip would be to, to stay as quiet as possible and stealthy. I mean, I, I've hunted with people that get out of the truck and slam the truck door and, um, you're essentially just alerting all the birds in the area like hey we're here <laughs> you know you're you're giving them a huge advantage they're already off and running they you know they're mm -hmm. they're looking for a hidey hole um you know if you, if you can be stealthy and slink through the the cover and, and be quiet in the parking lot you're gonna increase your odds tenfold yeah that's something i learned early on was you know so it was you know something that was kind of new to me if you're not familiar with how pheasants operate i mean I kind of expected them to, if they're scared, like any other bird, they'll get up and fly and they'll fly away. Well, I think you guys, correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot of times they just cruise around running right in front of you. You know, they, yeah, you, they stay hidden. They stay, 
you know, pinched into their own little spot until they really feel like they need to go. Mm-hmm. And then when they go, they don't necessarily fly. They might just keep running and you'll never even know that they're there. Right. And that, that's the challenge. I mean, it can be a challenge without a dog. You know, if, if you're say by yourself, if you're with a group, it's, it's easier to cover a wide swath of ground and essentially it keeps birds from running around you, if you will. Um, but roosters love to run, man. I mean, they'll, they'll hear you coming or, you know, they know that they're being pressured and, and they're going to, their first instinct's going to run, not fly. Um, so they're going to run. And, and a lot of times they'll run, you know, they'll feel the pressure of the dog and they'll run. And I mean, that's kind of the cool part about having a dog and being able to watch the dog work the bird and watching him use his nose and following exactly where that rooster's running. I mean, it's pretty crazy to, to watch some of that. And I'm sure Mike's seen it, but sometimes mm-hmm. those roosters will run, they'll run a complete circle around you yep. and the dog is still on them and he'll finally catch up with them and get them flushed and they'll end up, you've turned 360 degrees or, you know, or 180 degrees. And now you're, you're essentially facing the opposite way you had originally been pushing the bird. Hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, I think in those cases I've, I've gotten kind of screwed up, you know, one thing I'll say as a tip is if you're hunting with dogs, is trust your dog. Because there's right. been times where like, oh, we already walked through that. You know, you've already covered this area. Let's just keep walking. And then your dog starts getting behind you and you're just like, oh, come on, come on. We'll keep going. And then it flushes the bird behind you and you're like, oh, dang it. Yep. You know, yep. so trusting, trusting your dog is going to be really important in those cases. And the other thing I'll say safety wise is don't shoot at any pheasant that's on the ground. Especially if there's dogs in the field, you know, or low flying birds, um, yeah. you know, make sure that birds, you know, up in the air a little ways and not, you know, hovering just above the grass. You know, if there is a dog in the field, a lot of times they're right on the tail of that rooster. And if he's flying low and you take a shot, it's not going to end well. Yeah. Mm. Well, I don't know. I think we, uh, you got some things to get to tonight, Logan. I was just wondering as we kind of wrap things up here, do you have any memorable uh pheasant hunts recently or maybe back when you were a kid that kind of were impactful and might get somebody thinking about trying this for the first time do you have any um any good stories for us oh i got a lot of stories you know after spending the amount of time i do in the field each fall um yeah that's just the connection you know um it is a big deal for me you know being able to be outside um you know the harvest is secondary in, in essence, but, um, you know, I've, I've got tons of reasons I, I do it. You know, it's, it's tradition, um, you know, be able to spend time in the field with family and friends, camaraderie, you know, take being able to watch my dog, you know, I've stuck significant hours into training and, and be able to see all that, you know, play out in the field and see him essentially do what he loves. And, uh, you know, there's, ample reasons why you should get out there and try it you know for me it's you know being outdoors and um you know there's there's nothing that beats walking native prairies flushing wild roosters you know the hearing the cackle and um and it's just secondary to be able to harvest one and um kind of bring it from field to plate if you will um you know I, i just think that's that's pretty cool yeah, one of the things that I love so much about it is the startle factor. Hmm. You know, the, <laughs> you certainly you, do that. Where you, you know, sometimes you haven't maybe haven't seen a bird in a little bit, and you get into conversations with other people in your hunting group, and you're just kind of talking away, and all of a sudden one flushes out from like 
underneath your feet. You know, that, that adrenaline rush in the, you know, <laughs> this, the, the slight split second of terror, you know, <laughs> I think is, yeah. is really, is really cool too. That's one of my favorite things about it. Um, and definitely Absolutely. the social aspect of it as well. Yeah. Um, and maybe the last thing we'll ask for you from you is, uh, how about a blooper? Anything that you've messed up in the past that you think would be a good thing, either funny or a good thing to le- other people to learn from? I'm sure I've messed up a ton in the past. Um, I'm trying to think right off the top of my head that, you know, what, what other people could learn from. Um, you know, if I, I'd try to bring it back to a dog again, but if, if you do have a dog in the field, I, you know, one thing I've learned over the years is is dogs seem to if it's in the field they're going to get into it and you know at one point in my life I wasn't prepared for that um yeah meaning I wasn't carrying a first aid kit in my truck or Mm. maybe enough water or you know whatever it may be a skunk that they find um get sprayed you know it's just be prepared for Mm -hmm. the worst um you know it just like last fall I my dog was, was on a bird and ran right through a barbed wire fence and mm. ripped his face wide open. And, you know, thankfully I, we had some first aid stuff in the truck and we were able to temporarily get it closed up and to a bed and get things taken care of. But, you know, hadn't I not had that first aid kit, it could have been much worse. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a lot of concern right now with, with trapping and dogs getting in traps. Um, you know, being, being prepared for that. I mean, you know, the guy's trapping, they have every right to be out there trapping and it's legal. Um, you know, you, you just hope your dog doesn't get into it, but if he does, you know, being ready for that and having the tools necessary to get him out, um, you know, those kind of things. Um, you know, I've, I've learned from, from that in the past. Um, I don't know, bringing extra socks, (laughs) extra boots, um, (laughs) simple things like that, you know, pheasants have wet feet and, you know, even if you think it's frozen in the winter, walking through some of those sloughs, you'll fall through. Your boots are soaked, and I mean, if you don't have an extra pair of boots and socks, your hunt's essentially over. If it's mm-hmm. early mid December, um, you can't walk around in that weather with wet feet. So yeah. that, that's an easy one. Yeah, I've learned plenty of times: bring extra boots and extra socks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I think. I'll share one blooper and this really has nothing to do with tips. It was just kind of a funny little tidbit. And, um, this was probably, I was probably 14 at the time and we, we were hunting some private land out in central South Dakota. We had access to uh, like thousands and thousands of acres of CRP and we spent four days hunting out there. And one of the strangest things that I have ever seen was, uh, my uncle Andy shot a pheasant and his dog re- retrieved it and brought it back to him. And he put it in his pouch on his back, in his vest. And we walked, you know, maybe another quarter mile. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I heard him, you know, 20 feet away, like, what the, what's going on? And I look, and he's trying to reach into the back pouch of his uh, vest. And I can see the head of this pheasant <laughs> pop out of the <laughs> of the pouch. And like, like a cartoon character, like, looked to the side a couple of times, blink once or twice, and then hopped out and ran. And oh, we, no. we, we actually never found that bird again. <laughs> it was the weirdest thing. 
Um, so that's, you know, there's so many things that I would encourage people to try. And pheasant hunting is one of them just because it's such a social thing. And every time you're out, there's something that, you know, is an unforgettable moment. And that's, right. and that, uh, and sharing the stories, whether you've heard them 15 times or you're hearing them the first time are always fun to revisit. So, um, right. for those reasons, I, I highly recommend upland bird hunting. We, we just need more hunters in the field, period. Yeah. That, uh, that all ties to the R3 movement and, you know, recruit, retain, reactivate, um, you know, all, all that adds up to, to conservation dollars and helps us conserve, conserve species that, you know, hunters and outdoor enthusiasts, you know, both care about. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks Logan for your time and for sharing your wealth of knowledge and experience with, with all of us. It was really uh, insightful and helpful for us. So maybe I'd like to, we'd like to get you on another time as well to kind of pick your brain sometime, maybe about your experiences with other upland birds you know, maybe uh, sage grouse or prairie chickens or sharp tails. Um, sure. And then, or another conversation about elk hunting and yeah, use your I... expert, your expert experience um, <laughs> with guiding out west as well. So it's yeah. good to know people that know more than you do. So <laughs> oh, I, I don't know a lot, but I'm, I'm happy to share what I do know. So cool. If it, if it means getting more people involved and, and outdoors, I'm all for it. Awesome. Do you want to share anything anywhere anybody can find you online or any like Instagram or anything like that? Um, if you, I don't know if you're active on that sort of stuff, but yeah, I'm on Facebook, Instagram. I, I guess I primarily use Instagram nowadays. Um, yeah, I, I kind of like doing photography as well. Um, I, a lot of times I'll just carry the camera in the field and, you know, try documenting some of those experiences of field, you know, through visuals, photography, and whatnot. So I post a lot of that to my Instagram account. So that's um, just at L or at the L Hinners or Logan Hinners under, underscore in between Logan Hinners there. Cool. Thanks a lot, man. Thanks for joining us, and um, hopefully catch up with you again sometime soon. Yeah, good luck out uh, pheasant yeah. hunting this season. Same to you guys. Yeah. Appreciate it. Thank you. Yep. Take care.